You're listening to Malka Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. Um, Mahmoud Mia, he's a senior attorney, someone uh, that resonates uh, positively on the uh, platforms of uh, Malka Sahaba. And uh, Mahmoud Mia, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And tell me, how are you doing this uh, beautiful evening? Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillah, with the grace of Allah, doing well. <clears throat> and so nice to be speaking to you and all the listeners again this evening. How are you keeping? Alhamdulillah, Mahmoud, uh, doing very well and all the better to have you on uh, with us uh, this evening. And, you know, we generally, you and, uh, when I talk to your other very close to friend, uh, uh, senior attorney, Ashraf Isup, and he said, hey, when last did you have Mahmoud on? I said, no, he's due now. He's due. So he's a big fan of yours. He listens to you. I'm, I'm sure it's very reciprocal. But, you know, you'll have a certain camaraderie in your profession. And, you know, you have your favorites. I'm sure he's one of your favorites, uh, Mahmoud. And Alhamdulillah, we go back a long time. Uh, we were actually at, at university together, so we know each other for a very, very long time. And um, we used to study together at university, and um, we did socialize as well. So Alhamdulillah, we obviously continued that rapport when we both qualified. So we still have days until today, Alhamdulillah. What a, what a lovely... Uh... You know, a revelation that is. So I know where the muhabba comes from. And especially, you know, Mahmoud, when you meet your classmate or you meet your university mate or, you you know, meet someone from your past and, you know, especially when you're in the same uh, profession, is that muhabba and that feeling. And when you look back, how often do you recall the past, uh, Mahmoud? Actually, very often now, because we find that we're living in very difficult times now. I think <clears throat> when we look back, uh, and as students, uh, obviously, that, that's the sort of best time of your life in the sense that you carefree and you don't have much responsibility except to study. Uh, but even I think at, at that time, um, I think that even um, not as students, but as um, as friends and as family, uh, there was far more love and mohabbat between people. Uh, people used to visit each other uh, fairly often, even like as students used to go to each other's houses to have meals, um, especially like in Ramadan and all of that. Um, so, you know, so, so those days one does reminisce about it because I think it had a special aura about it. Um, today we're all living under very stressful times. I mean, all of us are just basically chasing our tails all day long. And, um, and I think even as, as families today, it's very rare that people can say with real certainty that, you know, we as a family, we meet once a week or once a month for that matter, uh, you know, and even between brothers and sisters. Um, so today we've all we've all become very sort of self-centered. We all worry just about ourselves, you know. And the thing is, I mean, so that's the influence of the dunya on us today, where we're all striving to just uh, uh, be successful materially. And we spend a lot of our energy and time trying to harness how we can increase our, our, our social standing, um, our financial standing. But, you know, there isn't much emphasis on, on the akhirat, not much emphasis on maintaining family ties, uh, family ties, of making a strong emphasis on bringing alive all the sunnah of Uzzurah Pakistan in our lives as, a, as an individual and as a family. So I think these are the, are the like challenging times that our beloved Karim Salaam spoke about as well. It will come a time when holding on to Iman will be holding on to a hot coal, you know. And today we are all really in that, um, you know, in that position. And many of us are now facing daily tests. Um, that sometimes we have to now decide what do we put in front of us, dunya or akhirat. Um, and many a times the thing is that, so that hot cold, is it, are we prepared to drop it for dunya? Uh, you know, today not. Today we want dunya first. 
and for the akhirat we prepare to make compromises so you know it's it's like you said that reminiscing it brings back good good memories people were more carefree people are more loving um, and people had concern for each other so that is slowly waning out of our lives and we have to try and inculcate that again to see how we can inshallah have that resurgence of love and muhabbat as family as muslims more especially so together we can assist each other to to go forward inshallah to to succeed in, in our material efforts but at the same time to assist each, uh, to assist each other in securing our akhirat you know, Mama, you say it so beautifully, and uh, the beauty of, you know, that type, we're talking about, I mean, I know we all are one age group, you, me, and uh, uh, Isup. Uh, you know, when, when, when you go, uh, when you went to your friend's house, the mother knew you, the father knew you, the whole family knew you, and you were like, you know, you didn't need an uh, invitation if uh, the mom saw you, and, you know, they, no, no, you have to eat, come now, come, whether it's uh, breakfast, lunch, or ch- supper, it was no, like, you know what, hey, you need a cordial in- invitation or something. It was that like that close, uh, Mahmoud. Did you have the same no, feeling too? No, absolutely, absolutely. And I think that it was, and, and, and I think that time because of, of the nature of people, I think parents were were were, were, were happy uh, because they knew who your friends were, because they knew who their family were. And like I said, that, that family embraced you as a, you know, as a family member. Today, we find that very often parents don't know the families, uh, you know, with the friends who the who the kids are socializing with. So basically, this is my friend, but there's no extension. Listen, this is my parents, and I can go in and out of his house with ease. Everything is now done with great formality. If you want to go, you can't just go to somebody's house. You got a phone to say hello, how are you? Can I come? Is it convenient? Can can we speak now? So before it was just come and go as you please. All doors are open 24 hours a day. And everybody is, is willing to to embrace each other, to assist, to sit down for a meal. Uh, and today we, we we really can't do that with ease. Today it's always when you go visit somebody, let's phone them and ask them, is it convenient? Um, and people will tell you, look, it's not convenient. Don't come now. So today it's it's like reached such a level that even if you go out on on kush sometimes to to meet people, um, just to talk a little bit about Allah and the Akhirat and Musa Pakistan. Then to people say, listen, it's not a convenient time now. So everything today people want to put into slots and times. It's not like, listen, you know what, this is something that I, let me talk about Allah. Today my whole day has gone by. I haven't spoken of Allah. I haven't thought of Akhirat. I haven't done any good amals. So even that, people have to have to have slots for it. It's not something which you embrace. And say, listen, I need this at any time of day or night. If people want to talk about Allah, if people want to talk about the deen of Islam, then we must just talk about it because that's most important. That's the only thing that's going to carry us through and be of worth in the Akhirah. So that's how it's become. So, we, you know, it's very challenging times, all I can say. And we hope, inshallah, Allah gives us the ability to, to, to come back to the way we were and create that love and muhabbat that we ought to have, um, you know, as family and as a community at large. You know, I, I love the dimensions that, that you brought in about talking about the family members, talking about Gash. And when you talk about Gash, I mean, I grew up in this hometown of Isapingo Beach, where Bhai Padia Remullah lived, uh, you know, two, three doors away from me. And I had the uh, opportunity of uh, being a young, young lady, maybe 14, 15, 16, going out to, uh, for Gash with him, you know, going to different, uh, talking to different people every morning, meeting in the masjid. And I recall, uh, Mahmoud, when I uh, finished my metric, and it, it so happened that uh, Ramadan fell in that month and where I could take that break. And 
sit for itikaf. So one Thai party I did, Raymullah, mm. he touched me on my shoulder and he said, you're going to sit for itikaf? You see my cubicle there? You're going to sit yeah. there. I mean, what a, you know, what a privilege you gave me. So I sat in Bhai Padia's cubicle for my first Ramadan, uh, first mm-hmm. Itikaf. And uh, yeah. I got a nickname. Hey, all the old Bali start calling me Bhai Padia. So when they wanted <laughs> to come sit in the cubicle, I didn't let them. I said, listen, this is my private matter between me and my Allah. And Bhai Padia Rehmullah gave, it, uh, gave this cubicle to me. And uh, subsequently, the following two years, I did the same thing. For three years, consecutively, whilst he was in Medina, whilst he was out, you know, the path of Allah, I was sitting in his cubicle, and I may, maybe, you know, blessings from, uh, um, you know, uh, Buzruks like them, that, uh, you know, <laughs> kept us on straight and narrow. And then, you know, the question to pose, even I, I used to take him for haircut, can you believe it? I mean, I yeah. first bought my car, I used to take him for his haircut, his father happened to be my ustad, the later Hafiz Ismail Padia, who put me into the Quran, so it was like, that's a very close tie. But I love when you brought in the story of Gash. And, you know, when did uh, you get that influence of, uh, you know, going for Gash and uh, doing things on the straight and narrow? Uh, in which stage of your life, uh, life? Was it very early or was it, you know, a little later? Um, well, you know, I think as young, we were always exposed to it because we had family members that were always involved in it. But I think that um, once you sort of mature a bit more and you understand the realities and uh, sort of uh, at the time of doing our studies, we were also exposed to it because at that time we were very few Muslims um, at university and we obviously used to stick around together. And from that time already there was activity that was starting on campus. So I wasn't very involved there, but, you know, but subsequent to that, we still had contact with the people who were at university. And so Alhamdulillah, from about, I think the year about the late 1990s, that's when it sort of started. So Alhamdulillah, I've been involved now for a, for a fairly long time now, and it, it, it's the only thing that's, you know, it, it can keep us in touch with Allah. It, it gives us a chance to take time out and just to give it for the pleasure of Allah. Because we all need that because our lives are really very hectic today. And the thing is that if one just sticks to your normal routine, you'll find that a day will go by and we haven't made salat, we haven't made some tilawat of the Quran, we haven't made any zikrullah. And, and you know, and, and, and that's how we can become so easily absorbed. So at least if you make some effort to take out some time of your day or some time of your week, that this I give exclusively for Allah, that's what we all need. Because Allah Ta'ala doesn't need that from us, but we need it to, to, to keep in touch with our Allah, to remind ourselves why we're on this earth, what's our purpose of creation, where we're going to. And that a meeting with Allah Ta'ala is inevitable, that we will meet him if not sooner than later. But... But we have to prepare for that because really today, I mean, the dunya is in a, you know, best way to describe it in a chukka, you know. So it's, it's really like that. And we have yeah. to make an effort. So we have to encourage each other that in all that we do, that some effort for deen must be made because that's going to be our only real salvation. That's the only thing of real worth. And that's the only thing that's going to multiply. That's the currency of the akhirat. So we have to make that effort and build up that. Now we're all making wanting to pull up our local bank balances, our local property portfolios and everything else. But, you know, in the Akhirat as well, one has to make effort for that. So you can build multiple palaces. You can build the most beautiful gardens in Jannah. You can do the, you know, you can plant a tree with one subhanallah that's so big, the tree we are told in Zayla Amal, that the tree is so big that it will take a horseman like a couple of years to just pass by the shadow. So, these are things we need to understand. Listen, this is the reality. This is our deen. And this is the promises of Allah. It's the words of Huzur Pakistan Sallam. And these are promises that we can't doubt. 
but we're weak as it, and we have to just make effort and keep on having that reminder because that's all that's all that we need. Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran that reminder is beneficial for the believers. Got to remind each other. And uh, that's what Sahaba Ikram did. Their whole effort was to make sure how they used to, you know, take care of each other, worry more about the akhirat and worry about the rather went hungry for months at end, tied stones to their bellies. But but the concern for akhirat was always there. If a person wasn't in salah, they're asking, where is this person? Why hasn't he come? If the person doesn't do any amal, they're asking, what's happening? What can we do? You know? So that's what we have to inculcate within us as well. Uh, then inshallah, with that effort, with that emulation, we can draw on the mercy of Allah. And we know that no one will, we all will enter Jannah only because of the mercy of Allah. So if we do these good deeds, it's a means of attracting the mercy of Allah. And maybe that small effort that we made, that teeny, teeny weeny, tutti fruity effort, but you know, ultimately in the eyes of Allah, that can carry us through, you know. Mahmoud so beautifully a, said, why? I mean, you, you're taking me back to my lighty days, right? They taught me this word, you know, and at that time, everyone looked at it, each other in the mosque. Oh, you stand up, you stand up, you stand up. I'm sure you did this. And you say, yeah. Assalamu alaikum, brothers. In order to do anything, an effort is required. And regarding this yeah. effort, a very important talk will be given this uh, this evening. We just ask you to participate for 10 minutes. Hey, some yeah. of my chomis used to stutter and stammer. <laughs> and we had to coax them to finish that one line. I don't know. Did you have experience like that, Mahmoud? Yeah, yeah it, is, it is. It is overwhelming because, again, you know, so today when we talk about other things, we can talk with ease. You know, we can talk about soccer. We can talk about cricket um, with our friends uh, uh, and, and shout and scream and, and argue about who's the best player and who's this. But the minute we all, including myself, but we stand up and listen, Say a few words about Allah. Say a few words about Uzzurah Pakistan. Give some 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 encouragement to others to do some good deeds and encourage them to do some, some good amal. Um, and then you find, hey, all of a sudden you really difficult. Then Satan ties our tongue and it ties every <laughs> every opening of your mouth. And we find it so difficult, you know, to, to, to talk about these things. But the reality is that these things are, are the best thing to speak about, you know, because every time we speak of Allah Ta'ala, then, you know, the thing is sometimes... Really, our Allah is so merciful that sometimes we just can't fathom, you know, that Hadith Al-Qudsi to the effect, Allah Ta'ala says something to the effect, that if you remember me, I'll remember you. If you talk about me, I'll talk about you in a better care than that of angels. So these are like words of Allah, promises of Allah. So sometimes we just think and we think, hey, I'm talking about Allah, then we know, hey, listen, Allah says, if you talk about me, I will talk about you. So we, we must just we, we must learn to accept that. Listen, this is Allah Ta'ala saying, listen, talk about me and I'm going to talk about you. Allah says, come towards me and I'm going to come, come walking to me, I come running to you. So Allah wants to embrace everybody. But we just, you know, in our stupor of this dunya and our confusion and all our shortcomings, we just fail to realize that, listen, that our Allah is so merciful, He loves us so much, He wants to give us jannah, He wants to give us everything, but we just have to make a little bit of effort. So that, that little effort, that few steps of effort, can be our salvation forever. So we have to just make it. So, you know, no matter we try first, we do it, encourage others to do it. And you know, if we encourage one other person to do a good deed, whatever he does, we're going to get the reward as well in perpetuity without his reward being. Uh, so, all these promises of Allah we have to embrace and accept. But we are just too weak. You know, we just can't, you know, for us, uh, you know, we, we, part of our deen is accepting the unseen and accepting, you know, the everything. So we have to embrace that and really, you know, have that firm yakin in that. Then inshallah, it, you know, you can see us growing 
um, as Muslims and growing in a way that Allah Ta'ala is pleased with us. Amina Mahmoud, and absolutely spot on on whatever you said. Uh, as you say, you know, any gathering you have, or even you talk to anyone, bring in Allah, talk about uh, uh, the deen, talk about Allah and his Nabi, and talk about uh, the Sahabas, you know, the great work that they have done. And uh, as you said, you will get uh, rewarded. And then uh, we talk about uh, the Zamana or the chakras that we're living in. And uh, look around us in this country where you got kidnapping uh, to the four murders, uh, you know, raping, GBV, and all these other shaitanic movements are coming to the fore. And how important it is for us to keep uh, to the straight and narrow and keep our deen. You know, it's such a price thing. It's uh, more valuable than anything else. As uh, you make the point, it is our passport to uh, Jannatul Firdos. And if uh, we don't, uh, you know, uh, nurture it and we don't look after it, we're going to lose our big time. And then, uh, Mahmoud, you look at these uh, Zama Zamas. Uh, this morning alone, I, I think, uh, or was it this week, you know, uh, reading the newspapers, every day they took on 19 or 20 bodies were brought, brought to the surface and uh, left for the police to come pick up. And we're wondering what's going on there. Then the kidnapping is... Uh, you know, at the all-time high, we go to the malls, we are being accosted by people, and it seems like, uh, you know, the majority of the population, they're playing uh, the role of uh, protecting the, uh, the, the, the the criminals, because I don't know whether they're in cahoots or they're afraid of them. But uh, then, on the other hand, when we talk about the Zama Zama, you know, they're running rampant, they're moving gold all over, they, you know, they happen to uh, be individuals, uh, they go, go to, I believe, to businessmen, and off, offer them uh, this goal and uh, you know what are the uh, ramifications or the legal ramifications if someone buys from these uh, illegal miners uh, uh, Mahmoud what happens then you know well the thing is that in terms of the law I mean obviously I mean that gold uh, that they're selling is firstly gold that is stolen so I mean that must already be our first guideline that listen these people don't have a right to that gold that mine may may not be in, in operation now, but it's not as if the owners gave me the permission that I can actually take the coal out um, and I can keep it for myself. Um, so in terms of the law, I mean, you can't sell gold that you've actually stolen from a mine. I mean, that's called illicit coal buying and Ill, illicit coal selling. I mean, you can't, you can't do that. So look, the thing is that um, if you... If you buy from these people, you're in fact supporting their, their thievery. Because remember, they going down into the mine, they uh, obviously risking their lives and all of that, but that's not the issue. The issue really is they listen, you have no right to take this gold. You're taking the gold and you're selling it and you're empowering yourself, uh, but, but your means of taking the gold is not sanctioned by law. It's not sanctioned by the owner. So what you are doing is actually, it's like buying stolen goods. I mean, it's like, it's, it's, it, there's no difference between buying this gold and buying that goods that, that fell off the truck, you understand. So, I mean, so basically, as Muslims, we need to understand that if we're buying this gold, that it is not permissible for us to do so. And in terms of the law, if you're caught buying that gold and you're caught in possession of the gold, then you can be charged with theft because, or, or being in, in possession of, of, of unprocessed gold, whatever it may be. So there's many charges that, that could actually follow from there. So people have to be cautious about this. I know, Mahmoud, we need to warn people, you know, or the, uh, uh, the uh, what you call, uh, the crook that has this habit of doing everything wrong. <laughs> Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives him a rope and more rope and more rope to, you know, what happens. 
because this dunya for a disbeliever is Jannah, right? But for a believer, I guarantee you, Mahmood, you make that one slip, immediately you catch it. What's your thoughts? Yeah. No, exactly. So so the thing is, so that's why, you know, they say, like you said, now the hadith is the effect that um, for a believer, the, the this world is like a prison because we live within strict rules and regulations. And for the non-believer, obviously, it's a tenet because there's no there's no impediment. You can do whatever you want. There's no restriction. There's no morality. It's just about loving and self-gratification. Um, so as Muslims, for us, this doesn't apply. We have to apply the standard of our beloved Karim Salaam. We need to obey the commands of Allah. And I mean, in terms of deen, it's quite clear. I mean, basically, thou shalt not steal. I mean, that's a clear injunction to Muslims and then also to in the Bible as well. It says, thou shalt not steal. So, But this is something that we need to understand that if we're going to engage in this, um, obviously it's going to lead to to to, uh, to to more and more because if you can buy this gold and you can sell it or it means that for you then to buy stolen goods in other circumstances, it's fine. You're now selling that stolen goods in your shop. You're selling that stolen goods to people. That stolen items are going into houses where people buy it in good faith from you, but it may affect them because they don't know. But, you know, it obviously affects their spirituality because you're now eating things that are from that, that although you've paid for it, but it's got no burqat in, in, in what you're buying. You're buying stolen items. And it just perpetuates from there. So today it's going to be buying that stolen goods. Tomorrow it's buying the gold. And then from there it just leads to like total lawlessness because you've got no moral uh, limit um, and you've got no uh, no impediment. So where is it going to stop? And then we see, look where we are today with our politicians and all of them. For them to take billions and billions of rands without even flinching an eye, it's indicative of where they started from. You started off with taking a small bribe, then it went to a bigger bribe, and, and now your eyes became bigger and your appetite became bigger. So instead of taking now small amounts, you start taking bigger and bigger and bigger. And even when you get caught, you, you still, you're so insatiable, you don't even care. Listen, I know the law won't touch me. I'm above the law. And you continue unhindered and unhindered. And look at it overall now. Look at our country. We are being plundered from, from the cafe to the to parliament. That basically people are buying stolen goods and selling it at, at grassroots level. And people are doing this and buying it. And, and you see many a times when the looting took place in, in Durban and everywhere else, people took with ease, not a conscience. And they could take those things to sell it or keep it for themselves, whatever they did. But to them, there was no wrong being done. So if you can't differentiate between wrong on a, on a micro level, then how are you going to differentiate with wrong at a macro level? So in other words, at the end of the day, we need to understand that stealing is stealing. Whether you're stealing one cent or you're stealing a billion rand, it's stealing. And that's the bottom line. And if you can steal a one cent, it means you can quite easily stand, steal a billion rand. So that's why you must stay away from these kind of things. Because the minute we get involved uh, in wrongdoing, it's going to lead to it's going to lead to more and more wrongdoing. So that's why we must lead our life on the straight and narrow. Like they said, iman is like that. You must think your iman to protect your iman. It is as if you are walking on a path that's filled with thorns, and you need to maneuver your way there without getting caught with those thorns. So that's what we have to do every day to self-reflect: Am I on the straight path? Have I done wrong? Um, how can I rectify all the wrongs that I've done? And in that way, there, inshallah. It can be good for ourselves and ultimately for all people around us. I can really feel that Allah is blessing this conversation and you are really 
you know, you're flowing, you're flowing, uh, Mahmoud. And, you know, you talk about uh, doing the wrong thing and uh, dealing in haram uh, activities, especially your rosy gets affected. And not only yourself, I mean, you're putting your whole family members in jeopardy. I mean, sometimes you say, oh, why my son is behaving like this? Why my daughter is behaving like this? Or why my grandchildren are like this? When you go to us, uh, to the the source of it, and you'll notice, hey, man, what? I did a zigzag here or I did a zigzag there. And maybe those are, or that is a repercussion of this, uh, Mahmoud. No, exactly. So, so we need to understand that wrongs don't only affect you, but it affects all those around you. So the person buys the stolen goods or he buys this, or he buys the stolen gold, he makes money with it, he feeds his family, he gets his children married with it, they go on, they go for, for holidays, for Umrah also. And then we accept, we ask, but why is it that we're not getting any spirituality? Why is it that all these things are not bringing any virtue or goodness? That same marriage that we had, our kids are now getting divorced. That, that car that I bought for my son, you know, it, 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 my son is getting involved in all the wrong things now. We went for Umrah, we did all of that, we came back, but there wasn't any change in our lives. So it's because, you know, it's all, it's, it's a source. So we need to take less lesson. That that's, if our earnings are pure, um, then everything that follows from there will be pure. There'll be goodness to our family, there'll be goodness in any marriages that they take part in, goodness in the trips that they take. So we have to have this in mind all the time. That let's do good, let's earn halal pure, take pure, you know, pureness is, Strongly, I mean, like emphasizing our deen. So if we do that, even though we may have less, but what we're going to have is the barakat and the goodness. Like here we've got all the money, easy money, but no barakat, no no blessing, no benefit. So easy come, easy go. I mean, that's the principle. And then what you, what you then do is, that, like you said, now you're buying and you're selling, and then now today you can't get supply. Now you're going to look for supplies because you want to perpetuate that lifestyle. So it becomes a like, very vicious circle. So if you stay away from it and you go with purity and you go with honesty and with integrity, then you're going to have blessings and barakah throughout. But the minute you deviate, you're going to have you know, all these comebacks. You know, Mahmoud, uh, I mean, I know many people, many people, and sometimes, you know, I get, I get amazed. I know some of my uh, friends, but I, you can't mention them, but I'll tell you. They are doing businesses uh, that, uh, you know, this may be the recar thing or they won't recar the cars and they, they will do it. And it goes into hundreds of thousands of friends. And they're doing business like that, but you, you, he's standing next to you in the mosque and he's talking about Dean and he said, what do you do? You know, the moment you're but you know what, um, so-and-so, man, that you, what you're doing is wrong. And you know what they tell you, Mahmoud? You get a shock. You say, Are kya karna? what do you do then, Mahmoud? Tell me. No, exactly. So... So what happens is that when you become so um, abs- uh, you know, absorbed in, in doing wrong, then you can't differentiate between right and wrong anymore because that money is serving your, your purpose and your, and, and, and your benefit. You don't question, listen, is this right? Is my Allah pleased with me? Um, and then what happens is that because you're getting so easy, it becomes very difficult to use that money for sort of good things. So now it comes, it comes time for zakat. So imagine now you've got a million rand of illicit money. Mm. Now you must use the card on it. So I mean, do you think it's easy to use the card? No, you can't. Because that money is impure. So your intention is going to be impure. So it will result in you not paying the card. It will result in you not being charitable because you need to hold on to that money because it's money that you know it's not, it's tainted. 
But now to give the tainted money for good causes becomes very difficult because Satan is now your ally, so you obviously get more and more absorbed. And besides getting worse and worse involved, you're going further and further away from doing good deeds and using that money correctly. And that you say now, that's why they're going to ask me, you ask them and say, well, now what, what must I do? What must you do is that because you're so deeply involved that you can't differentiate between right and wrong. You're so deeply involved that you, you really stuck so much that you can't even understand So that's why we have to, you know, check check on these things regularly and, and you know and hope that we don't, you know, get too involved and become totally wayward. So that's why we have to remind each other and you know and encourage others to sort of do good. And if we know that they're doing wrong, then you have to send alims and listen by what you're doing is is not permissible. Sometimes people will will will, will speak and say, No, I didn't know, use ignorance as an excuse. But at the end of the day, I mean, the thing is that you have means of finding out, is this jayis, is this not jayis, is it halal, is it haram? Because that's what, that's what our deen is about. It's quite clear what is halal, what is haram. And gray areas, the deen says stay away from gray areas. So if you're not sure, take advice. Don't just do because you can get a quick benefit and a quick profit. And then not realizing that down the line, listen, hey, what I did was absolutely wrong, you know. Mahmoud, and uh, I'm, I'm glad we're having this uh, conversation just so, you know, it could be a deterrent also. Uh, you know, whilst we advertised the program, um, we had some questions that had come through. And uh, one of them was uh, from Tariq. And he says, uh, I wanted to join my sister in Turkey for good lock, stock and battle. But my aged uh, mummy is here. Uncle says, bite the bullet. Alasal uh, Please advise. A uh, good question uh, from uh, Tariq. Uh, you know, he's, uh, he's between uh, uh, a tug of war here. Yeah? But, uh, you know, with the Dini uh, chat that we're having uh, this evening, perhaps uh, you were set up for, uh, to, to, to answer this question. How would you answer it, uh, Mahmoud? Yeah, look, so, again, you know, the, uh, I think sometimes to use a kind of a, a catchphrase, like, sort of like the money or the box, you know, so what do you take? So mm. the thing is that today I think South Africa is facing many challenges all around with security and the state of the economy, um, and the you know the looting and the stealing and the ill government. So we all sometimes we listen. I think it's time I must go to another country. Maybe there'll be like uh, like greener pastures there. Um, you know, but we need to understand. Sorry, first from a Dini point of view, they say that if a person immigrates, um, then one must ask yourself. This is something of the effect that if a person immigrates with the intention of Dean and meeting Allah, then when he does do so, he will meet Allah there. But if he's immigrating strictly for, for like dunya purposes, and when he gets there, that is what, what he will meet. So sometimes we're worried about that. But now, on the other scale, now we're talking about his aged mother. I think, listen, now what? So what do I do? Do I leave my mother and go there? Um, and then you ask, where does my, you know, where, where does my like responsibility lie? I don't know much about the mother and her condition and her state and her needs and all of that. But we then just use the example of... Uh, Always you know, that he was the person that was regarded as a Sahaba, although he never saw Uzure Park And he was such a person that he didn't come and see Uzure Park because he was looking after his aged mother. And it was something that was so beloved to Uzure Park that he even told Hazrat Umar that when you meet this person, ask him to make dua for you. So somebody like Hazrat Umar is told, take duas of Hazrat Uwais uh, Karni because why? He had such a high status because of 
he's sacrificing looking after his mother. And he even sacrificed going to the company of Uzzur Park Salam to look after his mother. But notwithstanding that, he gets the gets the reward of being a Sahaba. So the thing is that so that teaches us sometimes, listen, what do we do now? We we're gonna go there, we may have more like material benefit, but my mother may be left alone. Who will take care of her? I can send her money, but she won't have me, she won't have my physical support, my emotional support. If something happens, she falls down tomorrow, I'm thousands of miles away. Who's gonna come and take care of her? So we need to weigh that up. So sometimes we say, okay, you take the right, I'm making near to make uh, looking after my mom. And was Allah listen. Make everything easy. I'm doing this for your pleasure. So make it easy for me in my risk. Make it easy for me in my safety. Keep me protected. So that way Allah Ta'ala can, can, can obviously help us as well. You know, and look, Turkey is a very beautiful country and it, it's a good, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a rule by Muslims. But again, what we have here in terms of deen, um, they don't have the same. In some parts of Turkey, it is there, but not in, in all the parts of Turkey. So some parts of Turkey are extremely modern. And if you go into that kind of environment, it could obviously affect your spirituality and your and your uh, you know and your uh, Islamic responsibility. So we have to weigh up these things very very carefully. So there isn't always an exact right or wrong answer, but you have to weigh it up and weigh up the pros and cons and see. Listen, where what uh, the end result must be. That let me do that which is going to be most pleasing to Allah. So if immigrating is that I'm doing it for the sake of Deen, then Alhamdulillah you can do that. But if it's not, and it's for other purposes, and it's only for the purposes of material uh, issues, then you have to think carefully about that. that is this something that, that's good for me? You know, Mahmoud, uh, you're really, uh, as I said, uh, making me enjoy this evening. I feel so spiritual in your company. Uh, you know, you talk about uh, uh, even the, uh, doing the right thing. I recall, you know, being a Sheikh Ahmadi, that's uh, Rehmullah's editor, and we used to go on to the uh, ships and do a program, uh, you know, with the uh, Merchant Navy. And uh, by the grace of Allah, we met the whole world. Yeah, the Arabs, uh, the, uh, you know, the, the Moroccans or the Egyptians, the Pakistanis, the Maldivians. And you just named them uh, Muslims around the world. We sat with them. We did dawah with them. And Nur ala Nur, uh, I should get the Jamaat on board. And they used to do a lot of uh, work with them. Uh, Dr. F- uh, Karim Fakhruddin, we had uh, Ismail Fakhruddin and... Uh, many others of our brothers going on board and, and doing the work. But uh, what I must tell you, uh, you know, Mahmoud, it is uh, that as the certain groups of uh, seamen there, uh, Muslim seamen, that made an indelible impression in the merchant navy with, uh, you know, these uh, bosses of this, uh, the Mediterranean shipping companies or the Greek uh, uh, shipping companies. And they'll tell you that the Maldivian seafarer is the most honest and uh, most uh, hardworking uh, person that uh, you can employ in the merchant na- navy. Now that is a Muslim. That's a feather yes. in the cap, uh, Mahmoud. Perhaps uh, your, uh, I mean your comment. Uh, very few people will know this, but uh, you had the knack of somehow getting that information out of me this evening, uh, Mahmoud. Your thoughts? No, exactly. So I mean, the thing is that so if we put our dean first, and we, if wherever we are, um, you know, then obviously we know that we'll be guided by our dini principles. And if we do that, then obviously we are going to come out um, favorable to everybody around us. Because there's nothing flawed, you know, within Islam, in terms of our akhlaq, in terms of our conduct, how we must lead our lives, how we must do business, how we must interact with others. If we just implement those basics, then obviously it's going to be very uh, beneficial to us and those around us. And I mean, there was a time uh, where even in our own country before 
if you're a Muslim person and you ask somebody for credit, they gave it to you without a flinch. There was no issue of, listen, I need surety ship or I need some kind of security or I need some guarantee. No, because you are Muslim, people accepted that, you, that, that you're an honest person. And today, I mean, the thing is that's sad to say, I mean, today, uh, if you go to someone and say, look, I'm, I'm a Muslim, they don't take that as, as a factor to take into account. Because today, unfortunately, we are involved in all the wrong things. We have all the nonsense that's taking place. It's our guys that are involved in it. Uh, talking now about this gold buying, buying stolen goods. I mean, those mm. those are things which if we say, listen, how is it that a Muslim person can actually do that? How is it that sometimes we have these major companies giving good returns because they're using Islam, Islamic Sharia as a basis and tomorrow all of a sudden they're gone insolvent because they've stolen everybody's money. You know, so the thing is that, you know, so again, you know, that whole moral compass we need to bring it back onto the right path. We've all gone too far off the Qibla. Come back onto the Qibla, obeying the commands of Allah, obeying the Sunnah of Huzri Park Sallallahu And in that way, there we can come back to the glory days. And Tali Mahmoud, you know, when you do the right, right things, you don't have to answer. I mean, you don't have to duck and dive. You don't have to make excuses. I mean, you just clean. You come out there, you can smile, and you can look at a person in the eye. Because I recall um, about, was it 15 or 20 years ago, there's a young man who, uh, you know, became an advocate and uh, subsequently he told me, you know, he had a top offer from a certain uh, uh, group of companies and they said, you know, you join us, you do this, you do that. But he told her the catch was, you know, they did some CD business on the side. You should overlook things like that or, you know, defend them and things like that. And he asked for my advice, you know, and I said, mm. you know what, it's like taking urine and putting into uh, uh, one liter of water. That one thing is going to wreck. And you know what? Thank Allah he listened to me, Mahmoud. And uh, just a few um, years ago, there was a big court case. It all was in the main newspapers and the news and all that. And he phoned me. Can you remember what? I said, yeah. He said, no, it was the same uh, company that's uh, Mm -hmm. and all those uh, directors are in. He said, I would have been compromised. Thank you. Thank you. But, you know, to give that advice, it makes you feel so good, uh, Mahmoud. And, uh, you know, but we have to lead by example. We cannot be hypo- hypocritical, you know. And it's a no, no, you don't, I can do it, but you don't do it. But you must be like, you must be wholesome. You must be wholesome. You must practice what you preach. Your thoughts. No, precisely. So <clears throat> that's why we all have to, you know, your, your first part of call is yourself. Listen, I have to bring these qualities within myself. Um, so it's basically to, to, to implement and then to propagate. So the thing is you must do it on yourself first and then encourage others to do it as well. So once you start with a person, and if each person is doing that, you know, then basically it will become very, very easy. You know? So the thing is they say like, um, you know, once they ask um, uh, how come is it Allah Ta'ala is not bringing the world <clears throat> under the control of the Muslims? He gave a beautiful reply. He said that if each person can bring upon himself and implement upon himself the commands of Allah, how can Allah give them hegemony so they can rule the world? So it's only we obey totally the commands of Allah and accept it. That Allah will then give us those. I mean, Sahaba Ikram are the example that, look, they embrace the commands of Allah totally. And what happened? Allah Ta'ala brought the whole world to their feet. That's why the Muslims were, were had conquered three quarters of the world, only because deen was primary. And as time went on, 
and as as the people's amals waned, and as obedience to Allah waned, all the, the all the power of the Muslims was taken away. So Allah Taala has created us for the akhirah in this world for us. If we implement the commands of Allah, Allah will make the world subservient to us and make everything around us subservient to us. But again, you know, like I said, we have to see how is it that on this six-foot body of ours, how can we bring alive those commands of Allah? <clears throat> and if that happens, inshallah, then only benefit can come to ourselves, then it will spread to our family, then to our extended family, then to our neighborhood, uh, then to our country. And then, you know, so... That's the way it works. You know, it's, it's like it's, it's like a flood. When a flood comes, it starts off in one area and it just starts spreading. So similarly, we do good deeds and bring this inculcation within us. It starts small, but it's going to spread and spread and spread. Well, Alhamdulillah, well said there, Mahmoud. And, uh, you know, uh, I was looking at a question. I'm just taking it from randomly and I'm, I'm reading it to you. It says, uh, well, the South Africa are borrowing money all the time. It seems that this government is putting the future of the youth in jeopardy. They will be subjugated to the IMF and the World Banks for the rest of their life. Which is, you know, the, the reality is that this is uh, ANC government is uh, borrowing money left, right and center. And, you know, the uh, shaitani, uh, uh, the jali system of interest comes into being. And then who suffers? Uh, the, 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 the youth. I mean, why should they, uh, Mahmoud? Talk to us. No, exactly. So, so the world monitor system is is designed like that. It's designed to put those with the haves, uh, you know, those those that don't have, to bring them into the subservience of those that have. So, because there's loans owing, because there's um, money that has to be paid, what happens is that these uh, the people who are loaning the money, the IMF and the like, they then obviously make demands on you which you can't meet, and then you allow them to come into your country to take to take things away from your country, or you give them, you know, ways to sort of exploit your, your resources. So all that is then denied to you, and ultimately you become, I mean, like subservient to them. And that again, so that's again at a, at a macro level. But on a micro level as well, as in San today, we all want <clears throat> the best of everything. So what happens then is that we have to resort to taking loans. So when young people start off their, their careers or their, or their lives, uh, the first thing that they need, according to them, is, well, I must have a nice house. I must have a nice car. Okay, well and good. No one says anything wrong with, with aspiring towards it, but can you afford it? Well, I'm earning a good salary, uh, but you know what? I I, I still need to, I need to take a loan from the bank because if I save, it will take me a long time to be able to buy a house. So I go to a bank and I buy the most beautiful house and I buy the most beautiful car and I buy the most beautiful furniture. Now every month, I've got to service that debt. So I'm earning, for example, 10,000 rands a month, but my uh, but my uh, my my debt before I can even buy a loaf of bread is 9,000 rands. So now I can't afford to pay my basic expenses, so now I must take more credit. I must use my credit card to, to, to buy my groceries and to buy my meat and to go to the doctor's bills. So what's happening is that the debts are increasing all around you. So eventually you become totally subservient to those debts. I mean, you can't do, you can't move. You've got to, you, you, you're under pressure from them all the time because you want to protect your assets. You now have to make a means to obviously pay that money. And now sometimes when you can't, you now need to look for alternate sources. Then now, okay, now I've got to make a plan, start dabbling in this, dabbling in that, buying gold, buying stolen things to sell so I can make money. So it's a, it's a, it's a spiral that never ends, you know? So you, that's why you go to say, listen, 
I have needs, I'm going to do it according to my means. So on basic level, as, 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 as people, we need to live. Yes, let's take care of our normal expenses without incurring too much of debt. Because the minute you have debt, it's put you under pressure. So now you have financial pressures, and that results in now emotional matters. Your health starts deteriorating. You're having problems within your family because of money issues, and then the whole family unit breaks down. So that's why, as Muslims, we must start clean, uh, you know, earn, uh, earn halal risk, use and live within within the parameters of our earnings, and that's, so that's on a micro level. Macro level, the country also, because there's so much of pilfering and stealing, you have to make good by loans. But those loan amounts are also stolen. So how are you going to service the debt if there's, if there's no money to, 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 to service the debt? So it just gets completely out of control and you eventually then have to sell your soul to them. No, absolutely, Mahmoud. And also, you know, I was just uh, recalling uh, b- uh, before going on air and uh, there was... Uh, an individual that phoned me and he said, you know what, uh, I'm thinking about my son uh, doing his metric now and hopefully, you know, he's a bright student and uh, if he gets his uh, results, we want to put him in a medical school and uh, do you have contacts and so forth. And unfortunately, it works out like that. Uh, if Mahmoud, uh, they'll come to you and you just write a letter. Some of your friends that are affluent, will, uh, mashallah, will give the uh, loan or even uh, sponsor the bursary. But, you know, I'm talking about yesteryear. And if there was a bright individual and the community, you know, uh, identified him. The whole community used to uh, club together to send that uh, that individual to uh, medical school or to become a lawyer. Uh, you know, that uh, camaraderie, that mahabba, seems to have dissipated now. Why, Mahmoud? Yes, again, because we've all become very self-centered. It's always, it's always about me and my immediate family. There isn't much concern about people on the outside. So, you know, we feel listen, there's many organizations that give us, so let them go to them. And but the issue is that listen, we need to, as Muslims, our outlook should be that I want for others what I want for myself. So if we want success, we want success for them as well. We want education, which we will we must try and keep them. So we have to try and create, you know, these kind of movements to 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 assist and help each other. You know, whether it's for studies or for whatever else. So we've got to create that love and muhabbat and concern, you know, between ourselves. And inshallah, that can only then keep us in a kind of a good state, you know. And as you said, you know, it, uh, before we used to be uh, very selfless and we embraced and uh, celebrated individuals in the community, but now it's uh, something else altogether. Mahmoud, you know, we had a, a mashallah con- conversation uh, this evening. Uh, a lot of uh, spirituality came through. And uh, inshallah, perhaps your parting words uh, this evening. We just prayed Allah Ta'ala gives us two tawfiq and hidayah to be able to maneuver our lives in a way that's pleasing to Him um, and in, in the let it be in conformity with the Sunnah of Hussein Pakistan because only in that is a total and absolute success. Inshallah, Allah Ta'ala give us all guidance. Amina Mahmoud, and uh, you have a blessed and a mashallah evening. We will talk to you soon. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Yes, sir, people, time for us to go for the Isha Azan, and inshallah we will continue after that.